How is it that rock stars like Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga have been able to build huge groups of devoted fans? For that matter, what is it about brands such as Patagonia or Red Bull that likewise generate so much enthusiasm from customers? It isn't luck. There are easily replicable marketing strategies that any of us can use to turn customers into loyal fans, even if you can't carry a tune. We're talking with one of the top social media marketers in the world, Matt Collier, the founder of BlogChat and author of Think Like a Rockstar on the Manager Message Podcast. Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. That means improvements in revenue, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. I do that through consulting, professional speaking, and advisory work. My programs include guidance for message leadership with groups of professionals, as well as messaging transformation across an organization. Now, on this podcast, we discuss three foundational components for managing your message. One, the message itself, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want your marketplace to know about. Two, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And three, management habits that will shape your culture and turn those improvements into an everyday business advantage. My new book is now available from Career Press. It's titled The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Indie Books. The audio version on Audible, Apple Books. You can also find a sample on my website, jimcard.com. We bring all of this stuff together for you because, well, simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Ever heard someone in business described as a rock star? Our guest is a bit of a rock star himself, but he's really here to talk about how we can learn from rock stars, turn our customers into fans, and grow. Matt Collier was recently recognized by Forbes as one of the top 25 social media marketers in the world. But here's what he is not, a Twitter ninja, an Instagram expert, or a Facebook guru. Mac knows that success in our social economy isn't about understanding social media tools, but rather understanding how and why your customers are using those tools. Mac has helped companies like Dell, Adobe, Ingersoll Rand, Redline Hotels, Marketing Profs, and Utica National Insurance to build growth through digital marketing. Mac also wrote the book on how to create a world-class brand ambassador program. It's titled, Think Like a Rockstar, How to Create Social Media and Marketing Strategies that Turn Customers into Fans. That's a long-standing Amazon bestseller now. Mac uses a lot of case studies from both music and business, and he can share insights on how stars such as Taylor Swift, Johnny Cash, and Lady Gaga created brands around their fans. Matt Collier, welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you taking uh, some time with us today. Uh, certainly, it's uh, about message and, and management habits, but a lot about messengers. 
And let's go to your book. This book has been out a few years now, gained a lot of traction uh, and a lot of attention. The lessons that listeners in business and even the nonprofit world can learn. You pose this question in the book. Why have customers when you can have fans? Now, uh, Mac, in your expert view, there are a lot of terms that are thrown around here. What do you find as the real differences among customers, fans, and influencers? Well, that's a great question, Jim. It's kind of, I think most companies kind of look at it as a two-part question. So let me kind of split it up into first, let's talk about the difference between customers and fans. Because in just a technical sense, your customers are the people that are buying your products and services. Every company, though, also has fans. And what I call fans are people that are your passionate customers. They're the ones that are devoted to you. They tend to buy you. They choose to buy your products and services over competitors. And there's typically, they've got their own set of reasons and motive motivations for doing so. It could be they simply think you have a superior product, but a lot of times they've also had perhaps a positive customer experience with your brand, or maybe they like the way you have certain beliefs or themes that your company supports that align with their own personal beliefs. But for whatever reason, they view themselves as a loyal customer and as part of that, they kind of view themselves as owners, I guess you could say, of your company. And this is, this is where it's really powerful from a company's standpoint. And this is why a company should want to try to connect with these customers that consider themselves to be fans and try to engage with them and empower them. Because these customers that are fans, they view themselves as sort of the owners and as such, they act proactively on your behalf. They're the people that will, when you're in a store and you're looking at a particular product, they'll stop you and say, I have that same product. I love it. You should get it. In other words, they'll sell for you. So, and they do that again because they view the company as on some level being their company. They're proud of it. They're taking ownership. They're being proactive and they're going out and promoting it. They want to share with other customers why they love your company, why they love your brand, because they want those other customers to love it just as much. So they'll go out and promote the positive to other customers. Now, when you're thinking about what's the difference between fans and influencers, basically, I think the simplest way to kind of approach this is a fan is someone that's trying to help your brand. An influencer is someone that's trying to help their own brand. So a lot of companies, they want to work with influencers because they typically see they have big followings. And I think in certain situations, it can help to work with influencers. For example, if you have like a new product launch and you need to quickly get the word out to a lot of people about this new product, sometimes it can, it can be smart to work with an influencer because they have that larger following. But again, the influencer is working on building their brand, not your brand. Now, the smart ones, the smart influencers will understand that they'll continue to work with companies if they do so in a certain way, if they're authentic about, I'm only promoting products and services I really do enjoy and really, really do love. But with your fans, if you're working with your fans, for example, they already love you and you don't have to sell them on why you have a good product or service. So they're already out there promoting you anyway. 
So it makes sense for your company to try to connect with them and let's go ahead and connect with these people and let's give them the tools. Let's give them the ability to better do what they're already doing. So kind of think of your fans are the authentic promoters. The influencers are the people that will promote you typically for a price, if that makes sense. And the fans are the ones that we really want. And it was interesting when you wrote the book and we're thinking about that of drawing from the examples of pure fans that are around, especially in the music world. And then I think a little bit later, Mac, we can talk about ways of people who run businesses or run not-for-profits can help cultivate and, and make fandom more likely and, uh, and more profitable. But I, I want to go, it's just an observation and maybe I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit here, but when we think about a lot of the stars of music. There was a time, maybe it was never quite this way, Mac, but we kind of think of the, uh, whether it was a band or a singer-songwriter, and they kind of worked on their craft, and they'd play the coffee shops or the Elks Lodge or the practice in their garage, and then somehow they get noticed, and then they make it big, and then they're kind of trying to figure out the business of what they do. But it seems like today, especially a lot of the the stars that you studied here, the Lady Gaga's, the Taylor Swift's of the world, either implicitly or explicitly, it seems like from the beginning, they've seen themselves as both artists and brands from the very start. They've been very savvy about how they've done that. Would you tend to agree with that? Yeah, because I think in the last 10 years, if not the last five especially, you've really seen the rise of social media and companies and individuals, these influencers that are becoming very, like you said, very savvy about using these tools. They understand what these tools are for. And I think it's kind of, when you're talking about rock stars, I think it's kind of like just a perfect fit because the type of content that most fans want to see from their favorite rock stars is they want to see the behind the scenes stuff. The, they want the backstage pass. They want to go back behind the curtain and see them rehearsing. They want to see what their everyday life is like. They want to see what it, what their touring schedule and what, what that entails, the going from the town to town and all this stuff. And I think that social media, especially when you're thinking about like visual content, like Instagram, especially, it's a great way to share that type of content and I think at the same time, as you say, these, these rock stars, they're becoming really savvy about the fact that we're doing this and we're building this fan base. But at the same time, it's almost like we're rock stars slash influencers. So they kind of, as they see how this content is shared, spread, how the engagement is happening, you kind of see them the light bulbs going off and they'll kind of tweak how they're creating and sharing this content. And I think too, I think businesses can learn a lot from, uh, from rock stars, athletes, what have you, as far as what type of content do they create? And because they're looking at this and they're seeing what type of content is generating the behavior that they want from their followers. And that's the type of content they're gravitating toward. And you bring up athletes, which I think is just another great uh, canvas to, to examine of, of what a lot of star athletes have done, even in team sports. Uh, they've made great brands of themselves and they have very loyal fans to the, you know, the people who wear the, 
wear the jersey, wear the swag, buy the same stuff. They want to share those stories. So it would seem like to be a, a pretty similar dynamic. There probably are some some listeners here that would say, okay, but I'm not Johnny Cash. I was not not Lady Gaga or Steph Curry. Um, and yet you think of, of customers as, as uh, fans, how can they, what are the things that you saw that you put together in the book and that you coach and teach with your clients now that there's organization, I guess, both on the inside of your company with your employees, so how they can connect better, but also how do you kind of feed the fan base? How do you organize or at least guide that fan base as well. So what are the major lessons for both inside and outside the organization of how you can feed this system so it can expand and grow? Well, I think a lot of it simply goes back to understanding what's the difference between your average customer, the one that's buying from you today, and there's absolutely no guarantee they're going to buy from you tomorrow versus the fan or what you would call an advocate or an evangelist, someone that has been a loyal customer for the past 10 years, and they're probably going to be a loyal customer for the rest of their lives. Because those loyal customers, they act differently, and they want and expect a different experience with your company. They want you to interact differently. Someone that's a customer, for example, they just, they don't really have that level of attachment to your company and to your brand. Like I said, they'll buy from you today, but there's no guarantee they're not going to buy from your competitor tomorrow. So in that sense, they want a different experience. They want to have a different interaction with you. Whereas the fan is in it, they're, they're in it for the long haul. Like I said, they kind of view themselves as being sort of owners of your brand and your company. So they want more in depth content. They want you to have a different level of engagement with them, a different level of a relationship with you. Let me give you a quick example. Years ago, I worked with uh, Dell on a customer, kind of a customer advocacy program. And part of it was we were going to bring some customers in. I think it was about 20 customers. And these were, these were people that Dell had identified online as being people that were promoting Dell products. They were they basically viewed them as these are fans of our brand. So let's bring these fans in. Let's spend the day with them. Let's talk with them. Let's kind of walk them through what we do, the process from a product standpoint, marketing standpoint, everything. We kind of had like our schedule laid out. We knew we're we're doing this, this, and this at this time. Then we go here. Then we go there. And we had uh, in the afternoon we were going and we were having lunch, and then. If I remember correctly, we had a um, kind of a time right after lunch where we were going to look at some of the new products that were coming out from Dell, and they were going to give them a chance to kind of get like a first look at these products before they go out into the shelves and before they're available to the public. And right as we were kind of like in that time frame, we're finishing up lunch, we're about to go do that. One of the uh, Dell PR people, they came up to me and they said, let's have everyone go in this conference room right now. And I was like, okay, what, what are we doing? And he said, Michael Dell's coming over. And it was completely un, they, no one knew that he was coming over. It was just like one of those things they did on the fly. So we kind of herded everyone in this conference room. And then a couple of minutes later, Michael Dell walks in and everyone immediately perked up. Cameras started flashing. It was like a rock star walked in the room. <laughs> and to the average person that's maybe bought a Dell computer before, 
Michael Dell walking in the room doesn't really matter. It doesn't register with them. It's like, who, who is this guy? Why am I listening to this? But to a Dell fan, a loyal customer, they immediately know who De- Michael Dell is and they immediately realize this is a big deal. And they immediately appreciate the fact that Dell went out of their way to make sure that Michael Dell could juggle his schedule and come in and spend even a few minutes with them because that communicates to those fans that here's one of the world's busiest CEOs, but I'm going to make time to come talk to you. Even if it's a group of just like 20 customers, because they're signaling to those customers, you're that important. So again, it's it's about understanding the difference between the average customer and the type of relationship they want with you versus the fan that wants a completely different relationship. And as long as you can understand the difference between the two groups and deliver, especially those fans, the experience they're looking for, that will simply deepen the relationship with those fans. They'll become a lot more proactive about promoting you to other people. And they literally become sort of a tool and a mechanism to bring and acquire new customers for you. And Mac, in that case, and perhaps this is the the larger case as well, it wasn't that Dell and with your help was trying to shoehorn a relationship, kind of make fans out of people. They had already shown themselves in some way, kind of raised their hand. They were promoting Dell already. They had shown themselves to be uh, exhibiting those behaviors, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of sharing about the company and the brand ahead of time. So your your role here was to help them identify these people, bring them together, let them have a, a sense of community and that inside look, and then they may beget more and more and more fans. Is that the case? And what's the part of monitoring and identifying those people who are already acting as fans? We just don't know it yet. Yeah. And that's a great point you made, because I think a lot of companies, when they try to wrap their heads around, okay, I've got some customers that are fans, I think a lot of them, they they hear what we're saying and they're thinking to themselves, well, okay, if this guy is already out there promoting me, why do I want to mess with him? I need to leave him alone. He's doing exactly, he or she, they're doing exactly what I want. Let's just leave him alone. But when you do something like this and you engage those fans, all you're doing is you're just giving them more incentive to go out there and acquire new customers for you. And there's just been a raft of research that's been done that consistently shows the average person, the average person you want to call the average customer, they trust other customers more than they trust your brand. So if you accept that and then pass your marketing messages through other customers, those customers are going to view it as being far more trustworthy simply because of the source, which is another customer, because we tend to trust other people that are just like us. But if the message is resonating from a company or a brand, it immediately goes through this filter in our brain that says, uh-oh, this is advertising. I tune out. So that's why it's so important to identify who these fans are and then work with them closely and give them the tools and give them the incentive to do what they're already doing. You don't want to leave them alone. Again, you may think, well, they're doing exactly what I want, want them to do. I don't want to mess with them. They want to be messed with. Your fans, they want you to interact with them. They want you to engage with them. Whereas the average customer, typically they don't want to hear from you unless there's a problem and they need you to get on it right now and solve it. Otherwise, leave me alone. But your fans, they want that engagement because, again, they consider themselves to be owners of your brand. 
as such, they want and expect a deeper relationship. So you want to give that to them because that's just going to fuel them to go out there and help grow your business. Mac, I'd like to ask you, this is a bit of a two-parter, so you can take the, uh, the question however you see fit. But you've, you've got some experience here in this space. You were very active in the social media space and the brand ambassador space even before you wrote uh, the book a few years ago and continue to work in that very heavily. And my question, the, the two parts of it are, what are you seeing in terms of the, the best performing companies, the ones that really get it, that are using their customer base as a fan base to grow? Are there differences that you see in those who are really good versus everybody else when it comes to, A, just how they view the social media space in general, instead of maybe not as specific tools, but their maturity along that, and then B, just their commitment to and their practices around brand ambassador, fan-growing strategies overall? Well, I think that most companies, they kind of look at social media as this is going to be a way for us to get our message out. And this is going to be a, a new broadcast channel for us. And I think the smart companies, the ones that have been actively and proactively trying to engage with their most passionate customers, the ones that have been doing this for a few years, I think they're, you you spoke about that maturity level. I think they get a little bit more mature in their thinking and they begin to realize, okay, wait a minute, we've got these fans and these fans will go out and they'll talk us up and that's great for promotion. But there's also a lot of other things that these fans can be doing. For instance, when they're out there promoting, they're also talking to these other customers, but they're also getting feedback from those other customers. They may go and say, hey, I see you're looking at this particular coffee maker. I have the same one. You should get it. Maybe they'll say something like, yeah, this is the second one I bought of it. I don't like it because this particular feature failed for me both times. And the fan can go, really? And just take that feedback and send it back to the brand. And that gives them something that they can kind of act on. So it's not just about promotion. It's about these fans, if you're actively engaging with them and you're giving them the tools and the structures and a plan like a brand ambassador program or a customer advisory panel, something similar, but you're giving them some type of structure to engage and interact with other customers, there's so many ways that they can help your company simply besides promotion. Like I said, it can be just simply collecting customer feedback. It can be getting feedback on product design, on the marketing itself. You can train them and trust them on providing customer service to other companies or other customers. And all of this, this is all adding up into cost savings for your company. Because if these other, for instance, if these customers can engage with other customers and provide customer service, that's just a simply a call deflection. They're not calling in your customer service line and you're not having to pay someone $7.50 for a 30-minute phone call when they can just do it, the customer can handle it themselves. So I think back to that maturity issue, I think most companies, when they start out thinking about, okay, how can we build a program? that's focused on helping us kind of harness the power of our customers, I think most the natural starting point tends to be, okay, how is this going to help generate more promotion and more sales? Because I think that's how you get, you get sign off. That's how you get to extend the program. That's how you kind of justify the, the initial expense, especially. 
But like I said, I think after, after they've kind of gone through a few cycles, they kind of naturally pick up, okay, the promotional aspect, I see the value in that, but there's also this other stuff. There's also customer service. There's also product design, customer feedback, et cetera, that we can incorporate in. And again, that just kind of comes from experience and just going through it a few times. It's interesting and not just that they can help promote you better, but they can actually help you be better and get better over time. I was, as you were talking there, Mac, I was thinking it's almost like if you and I were uh, together at an event and we have a stake in each other's success and I said, uh, hey, 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 Mac, how do I look? You would actually tell me if I had spinach between my teeth. And so <laughs> I would do that for you, Jim. Exactly. Thank you so much. So um, <laughs> fans will tell you things in a way that they would generally think would be helpful to, um, to you and to, to other fans as well. And that actually leads into something um, I'd love to get your thought on as well, because much in the same way as people talk about customers, fans, influencers, and these things kind of get mixed together a bit. Uh, there's certainly a lot of attention paid today from marketing leaders and executives about customer experience. Just a couple of weeks ago, the latest edition of the Chief Marketing Officer CMO survey came out. It's administered a couple times a year, and we had the founder and uh, survey director, uh, Dr. Chris Mormon, on this podcast. And it was pretty sobering news in that they ask a lot of questions of these marketing leaders about customer experience and how these leaders thought their companies were doing. And the only area, Mac, that they thought that their companies were doing pretty well, frankly, was in brand consistency. Um, but in terms of a lot of just the nuts and bolts of what that experience is like all the way through, and especially the fact that customer experience is not just in the hands of the company, right? It may be involved in a lot of, a lot of people outside the company. Most of these CMOs we're, we're quick to say, we, we don't think we're very good at this yet. So what do you see as connection here between better customer experience and the things that you talk about, about connecting with and empowering customers? Well, I think just kind of like a natural byproduct of having those more interactions with your customers is you're going to have a better understanding of your customers, who they are, what they're interested in, et cetera. And I think, again, going back to what, what are the smart companies doing, I think the smart companies are the ones that are focusing on what can we learn when we have those interactions? And then how can we take what we learn, go back and apply it to what we're already doing and improve the entire process, whether it's marketing, product design, customer service, what have you. And I think it can kind of like create like this loop and this, this kind of like it builds on itself if you're smart enough to do that. And I also think it goes back to as far as customer experience, understanding where your customer is in the buying process, because you have to know that as well as who your customer is, because every customer is different and every customer is at a different stage of the buying cycle. And as such, they're all going to want a different experience or they're going to expect a different experience. And this is one of the things that I think that when going back to the rock stars example, this is why I think they do such a good job of creating and cultivating fans because they have these interactions with their fans. If you think about it, a rock star starts out, like you were saying, a lot of them start out just playing a, a bar, a honky tonk dive, whatever. 
But as a byproduct of that, what they're technically doing is they're playing for a small group of people. And they'll pay, play for maybe 20 to 50 people in a bar if they're lucky when they start out. But what happens after they get done? They go to the bar with those people and they drink with them and they talk with them and they learn who they are. And they learn that, oh, I, I love that third song you played, that fourth one. Don't know what the hell it was. I hated it. Okay. <laughs> so they keep hearing that that fourth song was terrible and the third one was great. Guess what? The third one becomes the first one they play next time or something like that. And they drop the fourth one. But the point is, they interact directly with the people that are consuming their music. In other words, the so-called customer in this case. So they kind of start out small. They interact directly with those customers. But then as they interact with those customers, they learn from those customers and they apply what they've learned. And I think this is one of the things that smart companies can do. They look for ways to facilitate more direct interactions with their customers then take what they learn from those interactions and apply it to things like the customer experience. And I think if you can consistently do that, consistently improve upon that, you'll be ahead of the game. Let's talk about some examples and some areas of application for our message manager listeners. And one of the examples that you've written about, and it's it's not one that a lot of people have talked about, even though it's a Familiar enough brand name, and I mean, you were talking just a moment ago about a musician having a drink in the, at the bar uh, with their, their fans out there. The example is that of Maker's Mark that has a, a loyal fan base. It's a longstanding brand. Uh, they appear to have great connections with their customers, but they also describe their approach, I believe the way that, uh, that it's said, is marketing without fingerprints. So... You've studied mm-hmm. what they've done. What is it that they're doing and, and what's their approach like? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about Maker's Mark because really it's a great story about how that kind of philosophy of marketing without fingerprints came to be. Um, let, me, let me kind of give you some background to kind of set the stage for how they got to that point. When they started out, they were just like this local distillery in Kentucky and The founder, CEO, Bill Samuel Sr., he was what you would call a craftsman. He loved the art. He was a craftsman, but he could not stand marketing. He could not stand advertising, promotion. He just, he viewed it as almost sinful because in his mind, the people that buy his product, they were literally his friends because it was really small and he was typically the people, his customer base were all people that he knew that he liked and they were friends. And his thought process was you don't market and promote to your friends. That's not something you do. It's, it's tacky. It's distasteful. I'm not going to do it. Bill Samuels Jr. His son once said that my dad only did two interviews in his entire life and I had to trick him into doing both of them. (laughs) And the second one he did was an interview with the spirits writer at the wall street journal. And this was, I think in 1980 and they did a full feature front page story on maker's mark. And that was, that's something that if you're a company, especially if you're a smaller local company at the time, that's just, you, you, you dream of something like that because that's incredible exposure. But the problem for them was they were this local distillery and they had a very limited distribution channel. Well, that article hits in the Wall Street Journal. Suddenly, 
they went from the people in local Louisville, Kentucky, or that area wanted their bourbon to suddenly the entire nation wanted their, their product. And they didn't have a distribution channel in place to get it out to the entire country. So this kind of, they were like, oh, we've got a problem here. So they started thinking about, okay, how can we address this? And they went back to this idea that their dad had about you don't market to your friends. And that kind of led them to, okay, let's, let's, let's try to work within the framework of what he's trying to tell us. So they kind of shifted their mentality of let's don't view our customers as being customers. Let's instead view them as being friends. And if you view them as being friends, how would the way that we would talk to them and communicate them with them, how would that change? So what they started doing was they didn't really focus on pushing out communications. They didn't really focus on a lot of marketing and advertising. Instead, they looked at, okay, the people that are already coming to us and saying that they enjoy our product, how can we better work with those people? Because we want to think about how can we let our advertising and marketing and promotions flow through those people that are self-identifying as being fans. And that kind of led to the idea of let's create this brand ambassador program. So that gives us a mechanism to have this nationwide distribution But more importantly, the distribution is flowing through people that have come to us and raised their hands and say, we love your product. How can we get more of it? Well, they tell them, well, you need to go to your local bar and demand that they start stocking Maker's Mark. And that's exactly what they would do. So it kind of like the demand for the product kind of was pulled through the entire nation, but it was focused on let's connect with our customers that are already coming to us and say, we want to do this, give us a way to do this. And then they gave them the mechanism in in which to do that. But it all started from this idea of let's don't view our customers as customers. Let's instead view them as being friends. And that changed their entire mentality around what is marketing and what is advertising. And that was kind of where the idea of, marketing without fingerprints originated because it's technically marketing, but it doesn't, the way Maker's Mark does it, it doesn't really feel like marketing because they're working with customers that have come to them and said, give us the tools, give us a way to help you because we want to help get the word out about you versus going to people that don't want to hear from them and telling them, hey, would you tell your buddy about Maker's Mark? No, I won't. So they instead went to the people that were coming to them and saying, how can, I, how can you better help me get the word out? And then they say, well, luck would have it. We have this brand ambassador program. Would you like to join? Yes, I would. And that's where it went. It's really interesting. And I guess to some degree, just the nature of the product, which has to be produced and aged in a certain way. And as you say, there's a distribution network. It's pretty complicated in the spirits world. Um, so even if they wanted to just flip a switch and all of a sudden start chunking out a whole lot more product. They really couldn't, I think, and they would lose the character of what they had. So this seems both in a practical sense, but also just the whole spirit of the company and and the patriarch, as you said, we don't market to, don't market to friends that, uh, that it seemed to fit them as well as fit their fans. Yeah. And that's, that's another problem they ran into is that Like you said, this is a product that takes several years to create. So you can't just flip a switch and suddenly you've got more product available to the entire nation. So that also raised the the problem of, okay, how can we 
keep these customers engaged until the next batch of whiskey is available. So that was, that was kind of what went into the thinking behind the brand ambassador program and how to structure it. And they would do a lot of things like they would give each member their own barrel and they would give them like their own number on their own barrel. And they would kind of give them an update throughout the process. This is your barrel. Here's a picture of it. Here's what's happening. Here's how it's going through the process. This is when it'll be ready, et cetera, et cetera. They would have, I think they called it their redheads and thoroughbreds every year where I think they go to Louisville, Kentucky around the Kentucky Derby and they bring them in and they talk to them and they have them tour the distillery. So all of this is designed to give them a way to stay engaged and interacting with the brand in the buildup to the point where their product is ready. And then when the product is ready, then they have the ability to buy some of the bourbon from their particular brand or their particular barrel, which they've already had ownership of and they've known and they've kind of like literally bought it through through its entire life. So a lot of that, the structure of the brand ambassador program was built to address that idea of how do we keep these people engaged for the next several years until the product is actually available for them to buy. Very, very smart. Uh, Mac, before we, we wrap this up, you know, we've been talking about some big brands like Dell and some pretty big brands like Maker's Mark. A lot of our listeners are in smaller, the mid-sized businesses, as well as large ones. You and I both work with companies and organizations across a lot of different sizes. Uh, recently, I've been working with uh, a community bank and uh, an eye surgeon. So what are some lessons that smaller uh, companies, smaller organizations that want to have that greater connection, they want to energize and, and feed a fan base, but they may say, gosh, we don't have a, we don't have a big marketing staff. We don't have a, you know, a whole lot of resources. What are the kinds of things that a smaller enterprise can be doing? You know, it's ironic because I think that kind of to your point, I think a lot of smaller businesses, they think that, well, this is, this is stuff that we can't do because this is like rock stars and fan bases and all that. So we, we can't really do this. But I think in many ways, a small business is better poised and better positioned to take advantage of creating cultivating fans simply because, yes, they may have a smaller customer base, but they typically have a more intimate and a closer connection with those customers. For example, if you're like a local bank, a lot of the tellers, for instance, they know when someone walks in the front door, a customer, they know who that person is. They know where they live. They know they have a family, two kids. They know something about their life. In other words, they have some level of understanding about all of their customers. So I think for these small businesses, it's actually simply because they have a smaller customer base. A byproduct of that is it's a lot easier to connect directly with the individual customer and to learn about the individual customer. And as such, we were talking earlier about customer experience. It's a lot easier to give them a customized customer experience because you know something about those customers. You may know that Karen, who just walked in the front door, is a substitute teacher and you can start talking to her. Oh, Karen, I guess you didn't have to work today. No, I'm off today. I'll be back in tomorrow. All of that just gets a conversation going and it gets them more interested and invested in that particular business because that particular business knows something about them. So I think that the small businesses, in a lot of ways, they actually have advantages over big companies because 
it's a lot easier for them to have those local and those individual interactions. I spoke, um, spoke at an event, I think about a year ago, and it was actually a conference for electric companies, electricity providers, internet service providers. It sounds like really boring commodity type products and services, but I was trying to make the point to them that you think you have boring products, but you don't. You can still, you think about what your products allow customers to do internet access, et cetera. This is all exciting stuff. And I was telling them that part of trying to create and cultivate fans is focusing on those interactions one by one when people raise their hand. For, for instance, someone says, I like your product and service. Find a way to always respond to them. Say, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And about a month after I spoke, there was uh, one of the attendees told me she emailed me and she said I loved your talk I want to tell you what I did someone on my Facebook page wrote in left a comment said they loved my service they loved the um, customer service we provide so what I did was I found out their name where they lived wrote them a letter a handwritten letter with a little like a t-shirt and a swag little swag box or something and I remember she said something about I'm trying to treat them like they're the rock stars, but it kind of made me feel a little bit like a rock star just doing this. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's something that I think kind of gets lost in all this because the companies that actually embrace this mentality of let's connect with our most passionate customers. It's honestly, it's really exciting work because you're constantly engaging with customers that love you. And that's, that's exhilarating. It gives you passion for your work. Because these people love you, they love your brand, they love your company, they love what it stands for. And I mean, who doesn't want to interact with those type of people every single day? So that's just something else to think of. But again, back to your point, I think smaller businesses, they actually have an advantage simply because they have a smaller customer base typically. And it's a little bit easier for them to have those one-on-one interactions. And also, as a result of those one-on-one interactions, they get a better sense of who their customers are. They can apply that, improve the customer experience, and you're off to the races. He is Matt Collier, one of the top 25 social media marketers in the world with great guidance for us today. Large and small businesses and lots of things that we can do to create more fans and and be energized about our own work in the process. Matt, really appreciate it. How can we connect with you and join your fan base? Uh, probably the best way to connect with me would be on my a website, maccollier.com, M-A-C-K-C-O-L-L-I-E-R. And also you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Collier. Mac, really appreciate it. And thank you for joining the Manager Message Podcast. And I hope we can have you join us again sometime soon. Thank you, Jim. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks to Matt Collier for joining the Manage Your Message Podcast. We're releasing this episode just prior to Christmas here in the States, and we'll take a break next week from the typical weekly schedule. We'll return with new episodes as we're all launching into the year 2020, working to make it the best year ever for ourselves and our businesses. I'm excited about next year. Hope you are as well. We have some new episodes with, oh, let's see, the top voice coach in the world, Arthur Joseph. We have the co-author of the groundbreaking book, The Challenger Sale, Brent Adamson from Gartner, lots of other business leaders and experts. Plus, I'll add a few solo episodes in which I'll talk about 
some simple ways you can implement key takeaways from my new book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find that book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books. The audio version is available on Audible and Apple, basically wherever you prefer to find business books that you can read and listen to. It's been gratifying to already learn that a number of business owners and leaders have been buying multiple copies and giving them to their teams as part of equipping everyone to help the organization grow in the coming year. If you're enjoying the podcast, then I would greatly appreciate your taking just a moment to subscribe and offer your five-star rating. That helps. It makes it easier for other professionals like you to learn about us. One more thing, if you're part of a professional association or a company that has events and meetings and conferences, then you are surrounded by people looking for ways to improve their professional conversations and to grow the business. On my website, you'll see a speaking page that describes my programs for making those in-person events memorable and valuable. Every speaking engagement is tailored and designed for great, lasting impact on the business. You can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com and set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My direct number is also on the website, jimcar.com, K-A-R-R-H. Thank you very much for your support of the book and of our first year and change of the podcast. I hope you enjoy and find meaning in the holiday season. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.